We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. For Samuel 16, as we're going to see today, David appointed and anointed as the king of Israel. Because it says here in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Such a great section of scripture, studying the life of David, the the life of Saul, the life of Samuel coming now to a close. And just for us, I think, tremendous lessons to learn. You know, I know for some of you here, maybe you haven't been here for the full study. We were back in chapter 13, saw how God had stripped King Saul of the family dynasty. And then we saw in chapter 15 how God stripped King Saul of his personal monarchy. And so because of this, because of the fact that Saul was disobedient, and living defiantly, God took the kingdom away from him. And as a result of that, and this is kind of cool, you know, some people, they they rejoice when you get messed up, huh? And some people are like that, man. They just can't wait for you to fall. They, they, they rejoice in that. Christians, you shouldn't be that way, you know, when someone messes up we should be weeping i love the example of samuel here he was weeping he was mourning as a matter of fact the hebrew word was was a mourning for someone who had died you know and and you know in one sense saul was dead he had died physically but he was still living uh i mean he had died spiritually but he was still living physically and so here we see samuel was mourning for him and the Lord just, he just comes to him. He says, you know what? That, that's enough. It's time to move on. You know, how long are you going to mourn for him? Seeing I, God says, I have rejected him from being king. You take your horn and you, you know, fill it with oil and go down to Bethlehem, this family, the, you know, Jesse and his sons. And I'm going to show you who you are. It says right here, I love this. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. You know, we know this grieved Samuel. It also grieved God. But the work needs to go on. And so we see Saul had been rejected and the new king had been selected. So God now commands Saul to go forward. I love what it says right there, how God had provided for himself a king. Now, of course, the anointing of a new king wouldn't be taken lightly by Saul. And so we read in verse 2, it says, And Samuel said, Well, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. And so real simple, you know, it's time for a transition. It's time for God to anoint David as the king. He would replace Saul. And uh, and so, you know, Samuel's like, but, you know, if I go and, and when you look at the route that Samuel would have to take, he would have to go through the town that Saul was in. And so 
you know, Samuel's wondering, you know, well, well, he's going to want to kill me. And, and I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, that Samuel would have that, that concern. I don't think he was necessarily doubtful or fearful, but I think he was simply asking for direction. You know, if the king finds out I'm going to anoint a new king, he might have a hard time with that, right? You know, Saul's going to want to kill me. And maybe we can compare it to when the angel appeared to Mary, and Mary kind of said, how? How can this be? I think in one sense it's the same way. But then again, there are the, the, the I guess you could say, if I can just kind of like use a side note here, you know, there are those times in our life where we need the wisdom from God to, to stay safe, to keep our family safe at times. You know, this morning I woke up, and as we were leaving, uh, as I was leaving this morning, I noticed that somebody had tagged, and this is interesting, they had tagged our house. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, people tag, you know, buildings and, you know, gangs. They tag places that, you know, they want to claim as their territory. And somebody had, had come, and they had ridden on our garage. And, I, and to me, I thought, well, this is strange. And then just the letters and the things that they wrote. And, uh, and so, you know, part of you just wants to say, well, the Lord will protect us. And the Lord's going to take care of us. And I really do believe that God is, has his hand on us. Nothing can happen to us. But for someone to come to your house and to do that, it, I don't know, I was, I was kind of concerned, you know. And so, so what do you do? Do you just like say, okay, well, the Lord's going to take care of it? You know, well, maybe, maybe that's the way God will lead you. I know for me, God led me to call the police, man. <laughs> and to say, is there a code here? I mean, what does this mean? I mean, you know, should we be packing now? I mean, I mean, how does it all work, you know? <laughs> does anybody have a gun I can borrow? I mean, I don't know, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, we have these times in our life where, you know, you got to use wisdom. You know, and so that's what's happening right here. Sam is just saying, well, if I go and I just say, hey, I'm going to anoint a new king, uh, Saul is going to want to kill me. And so it's kind of cool. The Lord just gives him some direction right here. And again, notice what the Lord says. He said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then you invite Jesse to the sacrifice. You know, here the Lord says basically this. You don't have to tell him everything. You don't have to. As a matter of fact, I want you to go and offer a red heifer as a sacrifice, and that's all you need to say. Now, some might look at that and say, well, that's deceptive or that's a cover-up. But I, I like what William McDonald said. He said, secrecy is not the same as deceit. God was not telling Samuel to lie about his intentions in Bethlehem. He really did offer a sacrifice there. But the anointing of the new king was a secret affair, not to be made public for for many years. And this is something that I think that we all, whatever the situation is, you know, God knows our heart and sometimes holding information back would be deceptive, but sometimes holding information back is necessary. And, and God knows our heart. And so it's something that we have to really take to the Lord every single time. You know, God says, go to Bethlehem, invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. And so in verse 5, it says, Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so, real real cool, like what we read right there in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. And that right there, we could do a whole sermon on that, huh? Samuel did what the Lord said. Oh, man, if we would just do what the Lord says, oh, we'd be in great shape, right? Husbands, wives, parents, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though, you know, a dangerous situation or you kind of don't understand how it all it's all going to work out, you just do what the Lord says. So simple, right? He was obedient. He arrived in Bethlehem and the people of the town, when he came, the, the Bible says they trembled and they asked him, do you come in peace? Now, that's kind of weird, huh? Think about that for a second. You know, a prophet, a Billy Graham or, or someone coming to town. And you're trembling, you know, and you're asking, are you coming in peace? Well, we need to remember Samuel wasn't what we might call a minor prophet. He was a major prophet, so to speak, right? In chapter 12, verse 17 of this book, he had called thunder and floods down on the people. Think about that. The last time we read about him, he had pronounced judgment on Saul and he had hacked King Agag to pieces, man. See? And so that's probably why they're asking, you know, is everything okay? <laughs> and Samuel says, I, I come peaceably. I notice you have a, an axe right there. No, no, I come peaceably, man. <laughs> I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You guys need to sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And so the whole, the whole town, we know Bethlehem is a, is a famous town. It wasn't a big town, but it was well known. A lot of things had already taken place there. And to sanctify yourself in those days, you know, the external would be this. Wash your clothes and take a bath. Some of you need to do that today. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, because they didn't do that that frequently, right? We do it every day. We are so clean on the outside, huh? Every day, man, we got our deodorant, we wash our clothes, and hopefully you take a shower, <laughs> That's what they did, sanctify them. It's interesting. Look at this verse again right here. He says in verse 5, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, the Hebrew word for sanctify and consecrate are the same. Same Hebrew word. And so basically all what we see here is Samuel was saying, okay, everybody here, take a shower, cleanse your clothes, and prepare your hearts. But when it comes to this family right here, and you know, Samuel kind of helped them out, man. He wanted to make sure that especially them, they made it to the sacrifice. And so we see the Lord working. And we know that according to Exodus 19, 10 through 15, that you know, they needed to sanctify themselves, otherwise they would die, according to Leviticus chapter 7, verse 19 through 21, if they were not ready for that work. And so the people were sanctified, and God began to work. In verse 6, it says, So it was when they came that he, speaking of Samuel, he looked at Eliab and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature 
because I have rejected him. I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the Lord just says, you know, Samuel, it's time to stop crying. We've got to go forward. We need to go to Bethlehem and anoint a king, one of the sons of Jesse. And so Samuel goes there and, you know, kind of gets everything squared away. And as he's ready to anoint the next king, sure enough, man, this guy Eliab shows up, right? He struts up, man, and he's tall and he's muscular and he's handsome and he just has the look, man, the look of a king. So much so that Samuel says, surely, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This has got to be the guy. But the thing is this, okay? Look at verse 3. Here's what the Lord said. He said, I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me, notice, the one that I name to you. You see, that was God's instructions. God says, hold on a second, Samuel. Don't you remember the directions? It wasn't for you to go and see the tallest guy and the, and the buffest guy and the most handsome guy, the one whose head fits that crown because it's so big, you know? That's not the way you choose a king. You go and you choose the one that I tell you to choose. That's the one you anoint. And that's a really good lesson for us, huh? Who appoint people to places of ministry. You know, that's a really good lesson for us. And there's just so many things to learn. You know, the Lord then speaks to Samuel with this lesson right here of a lifetime. And I've, you guys have probably heard this, me say this a million times, that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, right? The truth is, Samuel should have known better Because Saul was that way. Remember, Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. Did that make him a good king? No, he was a terrible king, right? 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, And he had a a choice and handsome son, speaking of Kish, whose name was Saul, choice and handsome. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So, you know, I mean, when he stood amongst the crowd, there's this guy, just, man, head and shoulders above everybody else. He was so handsome, so good looking. And, and a lot of times, here's the, here's the bottom line, we choose people like that based on the external, based on the superficial, based on the artificial. And God says, no. That's not the way you do it. You should know better. Remember Saul, 1 Samuel 10, 23, they ran, they brought him from there. When he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And so they chose Saul based on that, anointed and appointed, but then disappointed, right? Because that's not what it takes to be a godly king, to be a godly leader, or even to be a godly man, 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 that's not what it takes to be a godly man. Because I think a lot of times we think that tall, dark, handsome, buff. 
No, that's, that's the standards of the fallen, wicked world that we live in. Don't get me wrong. Courage is huge. But you, you, you guys, here's the thing that we're going to learn today. We must look deeper. You know, when I look out in the congregation right here, I see a lot of handsome guys. I mean, you guys are handsome. And a lot of, you know, everybody here is good looking, right? That's just the bottom line. But here's the thing, is that we have to look deeper than that. We must. It's not the condition of your conditioning or the bulk of your biceps. It's not whether you have dimples or pimples. It really isn't, man. (laughs) It's not. You know, it's not your million-dollar smile, your close-up, whatever, white teeth. It's not your height. Because really, that's the Hebrew word. He was tall. It's not your height. It's your heart. That's what the Lord teaches us, you see? You know, the other day, we went to a a birthday party at the skating rink over there. And it was Christian night. And so it's kind of cool. And so I like going skating. Um, How many of you guys used to go skating when you were younger? Skate Junction, anybody? <laughs> yeah, oh, man. And, uh, and so anyways, it's been, um, you know, like 25 years since I went skating. But then we went not too long ago, and we, we didn't, you know, hurt ourselves too bad. And so, you know, we went again. My wife likes to skate, you know. And uh, anyways, um, when, when you put the skates on, this is, I'll just share this with you. This is kind of funny. All of a sudden, you're just taller than everybody, you know. All the other people, they're like shorties, man, you know. And, uh, and when, I, when I did that and I started hanging out with these people who didn't have skates on, I, all of a sudden, you know, you're tall. And, and no, no, this is, I don't want to, you know, hit anybody that's tall or anything, but, but you know what? You, all of a sudden, you're looking down on people. And it's, a, it's a, right away, right away, it's a temptation for pride. Right away. And so I just sat down. I, I did. I said, Lord, I can't, I can't take this. <laughs> I'm serious, man. <laughs> It was weird. <laughs> and, right, and then I was reading this right here because the Hebrew word for his, his physical stature was that he was tall. And, and we know that in, in, in the world that we live in, if you're tall, you even make more money. It's amazing the way that people appoint people today based on their physical stature. And God says, listen, that's not the way it works. You see, God looks on the inside. He really does, not... The outside good looks at what's official and not artificial. God looks at the heart. And that's how he chooses people. That's how he chooses people. And so two things. Number one, when you look at people, look deeper. Look deeper. They, oh, they dot every I and they cross every T and they're so like good looking. Look deeper. Look deeper. Not only that, be deeper. Here's the thing, okay? When I, when I think of my heart, I'm like, Lord, I can't see my heart. You know, and a lot of us here probably say, well, Manny, I have a good heart. You know, and maybe you do. With the Lord, we'll see that he can take our wicked hearts and he can transform them and make them clean. But the bottom line is, unless you prayed, for God to show you your heart, unless you really prayed for God to show you your heart, you, you don't know your heart because only God knows your heart. And I don't care if everybody here says you've got a good heart. 
And you may think you have a good heart. And it's not until God speaks to you that you can know the condition of your heart. I was thinking about this, and I know this is a weird illustration, but, you know, it's almost like our credit scores. Okay? I don't have no idea how to figure out my credit score. I got to, you know, call somebody. It's got to be revealed to me. It's got to be revealed to me. And here's the thing. It's just that, you know, when, when you really want the Lord to do a work in your life, and I don't know what you guys are going through in your life, I don't know where you're at in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in the ministry, in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you feel, maybe you are so distant from the Lord. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And what we need to do is we need to pray, God, show me my heart. I was reading on open heart surgeries. And it's amazing, huh, the technology we have nowadays on open heart surgeries. Uh, when they first started, they weren't doing too good, man. <laughs> you know, and even if you did, you know, survive the surgery, you know, most of those open heart surgeries, uh, just, you know, down the road, not too long, they would pass. Now we've come to a place with our technology now that only 4 to 6% of people who have open heart surgeries die. That, that's, so that means like close to 95% are successful. But I was thinking, because this is what I was thinking today. Lord, today in our, in our church, Lord, I, want, I pray that there would be open heart surgeries today. And that, you know, Lord, you would do a great work. But I would venture to say that... Um, Probably the statistics are the other way around. How much of the church is really just to surrender their heart, to have a broken and contrite heart, to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Christ? You know, I think that right now we're living in a time where the church is just so carnal, so selfish in so many ways. You know, and we don't want to make the sacrifices. And there is our Savior who got nailed to a cross. And we just won't, we won't go very far. You know, I was praying the other day and I was, uh, the Lord was just, you know, speaking to me about different situations. And I think you guys on, on Thursday nights, you're probably, some of you here, not all of you here, you're hungry for the Lord and maybe you're doing a little better, but uh, uh, just a large percentage of the church they're alive. They, they know the Lord. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't be the church, right? <laughs> and so they're flammable, but they're not on fire. They're not on fire. They're flammable. They're like wood. Oh, yeah, it'll burn. It'll burn. But they're not on fire. And so you want to know what God is doing? God's going God's gonna to be, there's going to be a spark, Something's going to happen in your, in your life, in your marriage, in your family that will be the call to pray. It will be the call to pray. Because we talked about this on Sunday, that if you're not praying, if you are not praying, if you are not praying, then you have no hope to be on fire. It's not until you begin to rise early in the morning and pray, to pray all night, 
to pray quantity, quality time with God. It's not until you reach that place in your life that you will have a hope of this fire that you need. Because you're a Christian, yeah. You're flammable, yeah. But you're not on fire. And if that's you, I pray that we would today, man, come to this place of, of open heart surgery. Lord, I need you to work on me. And I pray, Lord, that you would. Because I'm learning this, that you... Look at the heart. And I see that now. Lord, I used to think that you were cool with me serving in the ministry the way that I do. I used to think that you were cool with me. I don't do drugs or alcohol anymore. I, I used to think that you were pretty cool with me the way that I kind of, I'm an, I'm an okay you know, husband. I'm an okay dad every once in a while. You know, I, I, I work or whatever. I don't cuss anymore. I don't smoke or chew or run with those who do. Lord, I'm doing great. And God says, you know what? You're, you're not, son. You're not, daughter. I love you so much. And there has to be this fire and this passion. And, uh, and also I want to encourage you, if you have kids, I want to just say this. And I know this sounds weird. I know this sounds weird. But sometime this month, I want to challenge you to pray all night for your children. Try it. It's not that hard. Go to bed, you know, take a nap, okay, during the day, all right? And then right around 11 o'clock, wake up. And then you go and you pray. Our kids, our children, our youth, they are just, they're being bombarded. And I think it's time for us to pray the way that we should. Even today, I was kind of hoping to end a little early to, to pray, but we'll see how, how it all works out. I know that God looks on the inside, and this is how he chooses people. Nehemiah 9, verse 7 and 8, it says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram, and you brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. You see, he found his heart faithful before you. And you made a covenant with him. You see, God looks at the heart. You know, and when the heart's not right, then obviously there's a big difference. We have the same lesson, this lesson of Saul with Absalom as well. Do you guys remember Absalom? He was, I mean, I, you know, as a guy, I got to be careful what I say, man. But apparently he was a honk, man. He was just really, really, what's that guy, Fab, Fabian or what's his name? Fabio, Yeah. That's the way I visualize him, man. Long hair and just real, real, real handsome, right? Anyways, I don't even know what that guy looks like, but I just remember the name, okay? And uh, that was Absalom. But look what it says in Second Samuel fourteen twenty-five. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And I forgot where it is, but it talks about how heavy his hair was. He had some thick, heavy hair. Warren Wiersbe said the only thing weighty about Absalom was his hair. The rest of him was chaff. His good looks camouflaged a bad heart. And you guys know how ugly Absalom was. You know, we just have to ask ourselves when we make decisions about maybe others in the ministry or even, you know, looking in the mirror, in the true mirror, 
Job chapter 10, verse 4, do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as man sees? 2 Corinthians 10, 7, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? How we need to look deeper, you guys. As Jesus told the Pharisees in Luke 16, verse 15, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And this is not just for men. This is for you ladies. Because I know, you know, and I don't know how you ladies are doing in this, but man, sometimes ladies, man, they'll spend, you know, three hours getting ready, right? And three minutes in their devotions. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And then in 1 Peter 3, verses 3 through 4, it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious. Notice, in the sight, in the sight, in the sight of God. That's what God looks at. You see, it's the inner that God looks at. John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You know, don't get me wrong, you guys. Brush your teeth and, and brush your hair. And like Dr. McGee said, it's okay to wear makeup. He said, if the bar needs to be painted, let it be painted, right? It's okay. I'm not talking about getting weird. You know, you can wear it. Just You can wear jewelry. But the thing is, is that it has to be deeper than that. That's all. Apparently, the Apostle Paul wasn't much to look at. He wasn't all that good to the refined ear or the refined eye. Because you read in 2 Corinthians 10.10 that his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Interesting. You know, when you, th- when you see that, you know, Paul didn't seem to look that good. He didn't seem to sound that good. But look at all the churches he planted. And look what God did through his life. You know, the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 13 through 28. 13 letters in the New Testament even though he wasn't all that good for the eye or ear. What was right? It was his heart, right? And so God tells Samuel, you know what? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even though Eliab walked like a king and talked like a king and he had guns for biceps and tons of other physical attributes, the Lord knew that he did not have what it really takes. And God said, no, not this one. And then in verse 8, it says, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. He was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And so it wasn't Eliab, not Abinadab, not Shema. None of Jesse's first sons, seven sons, were chosen. They were all rejected. And so, you know, Samuel's, you know, puzzled. Is this all your sons? And Jesse said, well, there's one more, the youngest, but it can't be him. (laughs) It can't be him. And Samuel says, well, bring him because we can't eat (laughs) until we get this taken care of, right? And so what ends up happening, they call for him. And the Bible says that David was ruddy. Um, We don't know for sure. Maybe he had red hair. Some say he was just fair-skinned. He had bright eyes, and he was good-looking. Now, for what it's worth, again, the same Hebrew word is used for outward appearance in verse 7 and bright eyes in verse 12. And so what we see is David is described as a good-looking young man, whatever that means, right? And so we need to say this. God is not teaching us that being good-looking, intending to yourself, being nice and neat, On the outside is sin. He's not teaching that. But what he is doing, and the main point I think he's pointing us to understand, is that we got to make sure that we look deeper. How how is your heart? You know, I talk to people, and I I don't know for sure, you know. I don't know for sure. But remember in the book of Acts, there was a man there, and he was a sorcerer, and he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Right? He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. And do you remember what Peter said? He said, you know what? Your heart, Peter said this, you have a, 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 a corrupt, wicked, terrible heart. You know, and so the Lord sometimes shows you people. He shows you sometimes with discernment that their heart and their arteries, they're in really bad shape. And it kind of breaks your heart because sometimes you see people like that and they don't see themselves. They can't see it. Why? Because they haven't really done Psalm 139 where it says, Search me, Lord. Show me my heart. And then you can lead me in the ways that I need to go. Have you ever heard that saying, you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, the same is true for people. And for us, placing them in positions, not just you know the government or church, but even positions in our heart, we have to be real careful. God chose David when no one else would have, not even his own father. Why? Because he saw his heart. Think about that. Your own dad. Your own dad did not think that you were king material. And Warren Wiersbe said this, Had an election been held in Israel to choose a replacement for King Saul, It's not likely that the people would have chosen David, but he was God's first choice. What was David doing? He was tending to the sheep, huh? He was keeping the sheep. And I think there's a lesson there. I think there really is a couple of things. Number one is that, you know, sometimes people, they go out and they're and they're and they're working. And they're and they're not doing good. They're not even good workers where God has placed them. They're not being faithful where they are, and yet they're looking for a promotion? I don't think so. Not only that, um, 
Have you guys ever heard that saying that a shepherd's work can never be done without a shepherd's heart? That's the heart that David had. God had been preparing him. God had been training him. There he was protecting the sheep. Think about that. How many of you here would kill a bear in order to protect the sheep? That's crazy, huh? Kill a lion. Oh, lion, no problem. I'll grab it. I don't know if you got the lion by the beard. I mean, toe-to-toe with a lion. See, I don't know if David told people that. You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I know God saw that. And when we're faithful behind the scenes, when we're faithful where God has placed us, when we're not trying to promote ourselves and say, hey, look what I have to offer. You know what? That's not a good heart. It's not. It's not. You just be faithful keeping the sheep that God has entrusted to your care. God sees and God will raise you up to be a king like David. And I think that's cool because David had to wait on the Lord, right? It took some time. But when he became king, was he a good king? Oh, he was an awesome king. Absolutely. David was a man with the heart of a shepherd. And what we see is that God's church today is a flock and each spiritual leader needs to have the heart of a shepherd and lovingly care for God's lamb and sheep. You know, God alone knows the heart with those eyes of omniscience. He searches them. First Kings chapter eight, verse thirty nine. Psalm one thirty nine, verse twenty three. Listen to this proverb. Proverbs fifteen eleven. It says how and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men. You see, God sees our heart. God sees our heart and the motives of our heart. And, you know, without him, our hearts are really, did you guys know this? They're really ugly. Did you guys know that? That's what Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 and 10 says. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his own ways. You see, God is able to reveal our hearts to us so that he can lead us in life. Psalm 139, again, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm amazed today at at modern technology, how they can like do, uh, I mean, first it started with with x-rays and then sonograms, and now they can take these little cameras. Think about that, the little camera, and they go inside your body and they can just show you the details, right? And I think that's what we need. You know, I just want to encourage you, and I'm going to do the same. When we we go home tonight and and throughout the week, Ask the Lord to show you your heart. Now, I doubt it if he's going to do a printout, you know, for you. <laughs> you want to know what's going to happen? Is, there, is it something's going to happen and, uh, and you're going to slip probably, you know? Maybe your wife's going to say something. Your husband's going to say something. God's going to say, pride, pride, <laughs> pride, whatever it is. But ask God to show you your heart. And then as he does, and as these things rise to the surface, when the fire gets turned up, then what we need to do is we need to give it to the Lord. You know, when I was, uh, before I, uh, I was in the ministry, I used to work in the produce department and uh, I used to pick watermelons, you know. And uh, there's different ways, of, there's different techniques, but it's always an art, huh, to pick a watermelon, right? 
I bet you I could talk to some of you right here and you say, oh, yeah, just look for the bee stings, right? Look for the yellow bellies, right? Um, I don't know. You pick it up. They say that when, you, when you're picking a watermelon, you want it to be heavy for its size. That means it's juicy. You want it to have a certain sound, you know, when you tap it, kind of like a woody sound. I mean, there's just all these things. You put them all together and you're able to, to, to just basically distinguish what's inside, Right? And that's kind of the way it is when it comes to our heart, when we're really asking the Lord, show, show me my heart, show me what's inside of me, Lord. Because I'm learning today that that is what you're looking at, Lord. You're looking at my heart. And so, Lord, I, I want you to do a work in me. What we find is that the core concept for us is the heart. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Speaking of this whole history of David, it says, When he had removed him, Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave the testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, here it is, who will do all my will. David had that heart, so God anointed him, and the Spirit of the Lord, it says right here, came upon him, from that day forward. That oil, that anointing, that power of the Holy Spirit is what we need to please God. But God, prior to that anointing, will examine your heart. And so I want to give you guys just a few things in closing um, as far as, well, what do we do about our heart? And I already mentioned to you, you know, to really ask the Lord to show you your heart but I've, I've mentioned this a few times. I think it's really important, number one, to prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Uh, King Rehoboam, it says in Second Chronicles twelve fourteen, did evil. Why? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And so you have to have a heart that says, Lord, I, I'm here to seek you. I'm here for you. you. There has to be a certain preparation. And, you know, there has to be that... You know, kind of like the, the hard ground right there. And you take that, that, that shovel or that pick or that hoe and you just break up that, that fallow ground. You really got to ask the Lord, number one, to prepare your heart. Number two, you want to protect your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so what are you putting in? Right? So protect your heart. And then number three, pray for your heart. Psalm 51, verse 10, David said, Create in me, it was a prayer, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Pray for your heart. It's so important because as God answers your prayer, Psalm 119, 32, it says that God can enlarge our heart. And Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the Bible says that God can, I like this verse, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what we need. We need the Lord just to soften this heart. We need the Lord to work, to give us a new heart, a larger heart, a clean heart. But it's something that only God can do. Uh, I guess it was a while back. Uh, have you guys remember that, that, that the movie Secretariat that came out? It was, a, it was about a horse. If I'm not mistaken, it won the, the triple... What's it called? The Triple Crown? Triple Crown. 
Uh, it set two records that are still standing today. Uh, this horse was amazing, amazing. And if you saw the movie, you saw how fast it went, right? I remember um, uh, when they when that horse died. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but I guess they did a, a, a biopsy on this horse, and this horse had a heart that was twice as large as all other horses. And when I heard about that, I said, Lord, I want a heart like that. Lord, I want you to work in me so that I can run in such a way to bring you glory and honor, Lord, that, um, that I would have a heart that you would give to me, Lord, just to do a mighty work for your glory. And so I encourage you guys, man, meddle with the middle, handle the heart, pray for God to do that work. Father, what a joy, Lord, it is to be here today and just to be able to study your word. Lord, to ask, and not as kind of funny, like Paul, in presence, Lord, it, it wasn't weighty. The eyes or the ears, it didn't seem to be much. But Lord, the content of your word is able to transform our lives. And Lord, that's my prayer here. I know some are discouraged, some might be rebellious, but wherever we are today, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the wisdom to go home. Lord, sometime, maybe tonight or this week, and just real real gently, real real meekly, but real sincerely to get on our knees. And Lord, just to ask that you would show us our heart and that you would work in us, Lord, in such a way that we would have a heart after your own heart. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Lord, continue, Lord, to keep us and continue to allow us to grow in the knowledge of your Son. And Father, I pray if there are any here today who don't know you, any who have not committed their life to you, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that today they would know that they're sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, that today they would know Jesus died for them on the cross, that he went in the grave, he rose on the third day. And Lord, if they would place their trust in you, if they would simply turn from their sins, and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then today they would be saved. And I pray, Lord, you would do those works, Lord, of salvation and sanctification, Lord, today as you see fit. We love you and we thank you and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 Four five four, three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.